what do you want to say to our audience? I would say something simple. If you, if you want to get more out of life is just, it's the five minute rule every morning is just discipline yourself and create a habit that in the morning you're going to spend five minutes, not looking at social media, just sitting there, whether that's in silence or like I talked about prayer, meditation, whatever you want to do, but five minutes and just think about your day. And that way, as you're stepping into your day, you have a plan. And that way, at the end of your day, you can look back and, and, and either that, that just gives you a lot of accelerated acceleration into your next day, because that's how everything starts. It's just one step at a time. It's through those increments and, and your habits may be crushing you, but you can turn that around, flip it on its head and have just a five minute, I don't know, five minute pep talk in the morning where you're just thinking about your day and then you're putting that into action. Here's the million dollar question. How do men like us reach our full potential, grow into the men we dream of being while taking care of our responsibilities, working, being good husbands, fathers, and still take care of ourselves? Well, that's the big question. In this podcast, we'll help you answer those questions and more. My name is Brent, and welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast. Welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast, your home for all things man, husband, and father. Big shout out to the Fallible Nation and a warm welcome to our first-time listeners. My name is Brent, and today my guest is author and pilot, Dominic Tyke. Dominic, welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast. Hey, Brent. Thanks for having me on. Now, Dominic, we like to start things off a little lighter around here with just a silly question. Google is the best place in the world for that, so I've got your silly question if you're ready. I'm ready. Let's send it. Okay. In South Dakota, it's illegal to fall down and sleep where? A, in a cheesecake factory. B, a city park. C, a rodeo ring. Or D, gold mine. I think I'm going to go with the cheese one. They're, they're, they're fond of their cheese up north, so I'm going to stick with my the, the cheesecake factory. Don't fall asleep in there. Okay. The answer is, we'll find out later. Don't. Don't pause and go ahead, guys. You know the rules. Just wait. Make your guesses, and we'll get back to it if you guys still care later. <laughs> Google is, is the greatest place in the world to find stupid, irrelevant questions to life. But, you know, it makes life fun, and it's a lot more fun to Google that than some other things. So why not? Now, Dom, I don't do big, fancy introductions because that's just not really relevant to who you are at this moment. I can read accolades all day. That doesn't tell my audience who we're talking to. So in your own words, who is Dominic Tite. Well, I am a, a recovering, I would say I'd had a, a spiritual reversion back to Christianity in October of 2020. And I'm a father, a husband. I've got four wonderful children. I own a couple of businesses. I like to fly airplanes, specifically the, the fast single seat style airplanes. And I'm a full-time fighter pilot in the United States Air Force. That's kind of the, the rundown. All right. Now, see that I I had that was a question in the back of my mind was I did not know from like our pre-interview if you were still active or if you were out officially at this point. Yeah. So I'm a, a little bit different than probably what most people are used to hearing, but I'm in the reserves, but I'm a full-time reservist. So I'm on full-time orders, just like active duty members are. Okay. I do have the audit. The gloriousness to that is I have the option to not be full-time if I don't want to be once my orders run out, but I've been just, I just keep re-upping my orders as I get to the end there. 
we moved six times in the first 10 years of being in the military and deployed twice. And we were gone. I mean, the assignment I was on before I even moved here to, to Phoenix, Arizona, we lived there a little over three years and I was gone, I think 22 of the months. So it just was really, really tough on any relationships, specifically my wife's. And then we started having kids and then my kids didn't know me. And it, it became, you know, it became difficult coming home and, and just, who is this guy, you know, and just kind of reintegrating and and doing that over and over and over. Yeah. It's, it is a life you have to consider for sure. As yep. a military member, my, my brother was on fast tech subs and he was out nine months out of the year. Most of the oh, time. I cannot so, imagine. Yeah. They, he traded his, as he moved through his career, he kind of traded some of his assignments to try and get a, a normal. Cause it was the same thing. he He'd go away and come back and it's like kids didn't hardly know him. And yeah, it, it is a life of sacrifice to serve in the military. So thank you for that. But yeah, it's definitely a, it, it's rough coming from a lot of military friends over the years. Yep. I do not in the, my wife's little brother just got out of the military recently. So we've been helping him reacclimatize the world around him. Yeah. It's a, I hear it's a big shock. It, it is. He's a learning life is a little different. Even yep. uh, he's not quite a year out at this point, but okay. he's, he's still making some adjustments. It's like, Oh yeah. When it's not, I think the rigidity and the structure, when that goes away, when you go from all of that to nothing, right. And there's then no, there's no scaffolding to your, to your day you can find yourself a little bit lost of like, well, nobody, nobody told me to do anything today and I don't have to wake up or do anything. And you can kind of lose yourself if you're not self-driven or you don't have a plan or a process to get going. Okay. So Dom, if you could have a conversation with anyone alive or dead, who would it be and why? Jesus. What's <laughs> your second answer? Everybody says uh, Jesus. Everybody says Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Valid answer. Okay. So I think, so here's, here's who I'd want to talk to is St. Peter. And the reason being is, so I've, we've been, the family and I've been watching the show, the chosen. And it has really humanized the, the personalities and the people behind Jesus. Right. And so, you know, Jonathan Rumi, the, the actor of, of Jesus and, and all them, it just kind of, it, really created this idea so now you when you read the bible or you you talk to somebody about christianity or any of that kind of stuff you can kind of humanize those people so saint peter and and this is this is me this is my my pride getting in the way of of my life and so when i started watching the chosen the actor in that series that really bugged me was peter and on about the third episode I sat back on the couch and went, oh my gosh, that's me. I I do that. I would do that. And that the reason I didn't like him is because he was bugging me because of these little irks and he would, you know, he would just, he's out there, right? And he's a little bit of a disaster and mm-hmm. Jesus works with that. And I'm the same way. I am just, I'm a, I'm a go-getter. I'm going to be the one that, and you know, if, if everybody's running off a cliff, I'll be the, the blue healer barking at all the sheep running off the the cliff going dude there's a cliff coming up right and and saint peter's that way and and i think 
the good thing to know is, is when you, when you start to learn about yourself and if you can admit it, at least for me, it's, it's usually kind of humbling and I don't like to do it, but St. Peter is that guy for me. And when I went to my men's group and I told him, I'm like, guys, I have a confession to make. I was hardcore judging this character in the movie. And then I found out that like, that's me. And what's funny is that a lot of them started laughing and they go, when I started watching the chosen and I saw his, his character traits were like, that's Dom. <laughs> so I think it'd be Peter just, I just want to like, you know, pick his brain and, and, you know, I think probably in his younger, younger age, not, not after Jesus died, mm -hmm. but before, just because I think that there would be a lot to, to learn in that time frame. That's funny. Peter's always the disciple I identified with just because he was so rash. Yeah. Peter was the one who was going to do the stupid if it was possible yep. at the time. Yeah. It's like, totally get that. Yes. Yeah. Someone in the Bible. So, yeah, no, it's a, that would be a good conversation for sure. Now, Don, what purchase of $100 or less have you made in the last year that's had the biggest impact on your life? Oh, my goodness. Can we come back to that question in a minute? I just sure. need to think sure. about it. Okay. We'll push forward. What are you most proud of? So this, this question kind of trips me up because are we supposed to be prideful? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a difference between being, I think, proud of things you've done in your life and being prideful to the point of sinful. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, 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 I think, can I break it up into two kind of separate things? So I like from a personal standpoint, I am, I, I love having a family and kids. It was something that I had to grow into and it was, it definitely put me out of my comfort zone and taught me a lot of things so that I think from from like a life perspective, I hope that my family can put up with me forever and be around because that gives me a lot of a lot of joy. It is a lot of work, as you probably know. But from a, a personal or from a professional standpoint, I didn't take the normal path that most do to become a fighter pilot. And I worked really, really diligently for many years to even get accepted into those programs. And that's something that I still love to do. Um, it still is, it's not like the first time ever, but I still love to strap a single seat fighter jet to my back and, and, you know, light the rocket ship behind me and take off. And it's still really a lot of fun. So I, I think that I'm a rarity in, in the sense that a lot of men are probably locked into certain things in their lives that they maybe don't really want to do, but they're just kind of stuck. And like, praise God, I can, I can do that on a daily basis. And it, yes, it's a lot of work, but it's also a lot of, a lot of fun, a lot of exhilaration. Okay. What is one random fact that people don't know about you? Just, it never comes up. Random fact. A lot of people don't know that I grew up in a, a family band and we traveled around and I played bluegrass violin and I got paid quite a bit of money as a as a young kid to go around and play in like old time fiddling competitions when I would win. But then we'd also dad was a C-suite exec. So he knew people that would open up hotels and we'd go play for the grand opening for a hotel and we'd go up to Canada and we'd go here and there. And I don't know, a lot of people find that out about me. I'm like, yeah, I played quite a bit of music growing up. That's awesome. Okay. It's a very different upbringing. Yeah. Now, of course, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask is everybody's going to want to know at this point, what is it like screaming through the sky in a fighter jet? 
So a lot of people like to have like the, the known to unknown. So because that's such an unknown world, I'm trying to think of something that, you know, most people have done. And I would say a roller coaster isn't quite, it isn't quite, doesn't quite do it justice. Right. But it is, if you're sitting in a roller coaster and you're not all the way, you know, buckled in and you don't really have anything around you, that's kind of what it feels like in the F-16 is that there's a, there's a bubble canopy and you can actually just look and see right over the edge of the jet. And there's, you know, you put a control input in and the computer tells the actuators and the servos in the jet what to do. So it's very smooth. So you move, you move the control stick a 16th of an inch and the jet will just roll right over for you. And it's very, very, very smooth. It's a very smooth airplane. I'm biased, obviously. I think the F-16 is one of the best fighter jets ever, ever made. However, it is, it, I mean, just being at, you know, 30,000 feet and then just rolling the jet on its back and descending down to 300 feet, it's the world's best elevator ride you could have. All right. I, I know, I knew that would be a difficult question to put into relatable <laughs> parameters. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I, I used to, I was in, in the Air Force for a short time got injured and ended up out, but I would go over to, now I just went blank on the name. <laughs> the base I had to go over for physical therapy after I got hurt was the home of the fi first fighter wing over okay. in Florida. And so I would sit there after physical therapy, waiting for someone from my detachment to come get me and just watch the pilots, right? Doing, doing practice, you know, touch and goes and all kinds of things. And like it was the best show ever just to sit there and watch all these planes up in the air that close. It, it was just so incredible to watch. So I, I see you guys up there flying. It's like, that's just, I, I've always just wanted to be able to be like, just go for a ride. I just want to ride with somebody yeah. to see. Cause yeah. I, I love roller coasters. I love motorcycles. So it's just like, yes, I want to go. <laughs> so I was at, I had just graduated from officer training in Alabama and we went down to Eglin, I think Eglin air force bases. Yep. Probably what you're talking about. So we, there was a, there was an air show, but it was military only. So it was the day prior to the actual air show happening. Mm -hmm. And it was the first aerial demonstration ever of the F 22. And so we're standing there on the tarmac where newly minted air force officers, we have not, you know, we know we're going to pilot training, but we still had to compete to become fighter pilots. It was a whole competition process all the way up through the end. And we're standing there and all of us are just chomping at the bit and, 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 you know, a Vietnam era F4 flies up over the airfield and goes into a break turn. And we're like, Oh, it's so cool. It's really loud. Mm -hmm. It's like a flying brick. And then, a you know, a, an F15 single seat C model flies up initial and they go into a break turn like oh that's even sweeter and then an f-16 comes up initial and does that and then the f-22 comes ripping up initial over the airfield and his turn radius in that jet was it uh, like half of the tightest turn radius that we saw and it was just and then not only did he turn inside of all the other fighters he then just put the jet on its tail and it climbed vertically just it was, it was the most, I still remember it to this day. It's giving me chills because it was so loud. It was so incredible. And it was just, you could, you could almost hear like Metallica playing in the background and just like, 
American flags are flying and the jets just going straight vertical. And we're like, that is, that's gotta be one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. Oh yeah. I've seen the F-15s bank low right after they take yeah. off. Yeah. And the noise. Oh my yeah. guys, if you've never heard this, like you literally if, at a close range, you can't, the rest of the world just fades out. It is so <laughs> loud. There's, there's just no town. Yeah. If you live close to any fighter base, you can actually go, and there's a lot of roads that you can go to the perimeter roads around the, around the base. They do it here at, out here in Phoenix at Luke Air Force Base. And there's cars just stacked on the approach and departure ends, and you can watch the jets take off. You know, 50 to 100 feet above your head. You know, bring some bring some hearing protection because it is it's freaking loud. I've I've been out there, and I'm even like, wow, I forget how loud it is. You know, as as a as a jet roars by you with about forty thousand pounds of thrust, just ripping right over the top of your car. My my dad and I used to go out and sit at the end of the runway at Whibby Island Naval Base. Oh, nice! Because the, all the planes for the carriers would, when they weren't out, they were there. So we we'd sit at the end of the runway and and like you know eat popsicles and just watch the planes go. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tom. What is something everyone should know about you before we dig into the show today? Something everybody should know. So I need to go back to your other your other question of what I bought for a hundred bucks that and I, I don't remember Brent, can you remind me that the phrasing of it? Was it the best the best thing I bought in a year or best thing a hundred dollars bought and it's the most impactful know. purchase on your life a hundred dollars or less than last year? In the last year. So I bought kind of geeky. I bought this little, my friend works for Ping, the golf club company, and he had given me this, there were these little connectors or something that went on the ends of my golf clubs. And it was for, I think it was 85 bucks or something. I bought this little clip that goes in my pocket while I'm golfing. And instead of tracking anything myself, because we have so much digital technology nowadays, I can just golf and it kind of takes a lot of the work out of golf and it makes it more fun. And then at the end of at the end of my round, I can see what I scored, you know, what, what clubs I hit well, and it just kind of keeps track of all that data. I'm not a huge data geek, but it was the, the app and the little, the little clip, I think it's called Arcos golf clip or whatever. If, if any golfers are listening to your show today, I, I really liked it. Some people don't like it, but that was something that I really enjoyed this last year. I'm just kind of been track of all my stuff and I don't have to do it manually anymore. <laughs> Other thing that people getting into your next question that people should know about me if I'm phrasing that correctly I would say a lot of fighter pilots don't write stories and they don't or, or they do or they they're really good storytellers or they don't write stories but they fighter pilots just I don't know if if you ever met one you're probably not like oh that guy's an author and I think that's probably something that's a little bit different in my case is that I started getting my fighter pilot buddies to write short stories and we started publishing them in compilation books. So the single seat wisdom series books, they're just short little stories written by fighter pilots to kind of give back. Right. And then that company, cause I had started a couple of companies before this one, but that, that company is called single seat mindset because we're single seat fighter pilots and that company we started and then we give all of the money to a children's cancer nonprofit. So it's a little bit, a little bit of a different structure. I, I feel like I'm, I've been given just so much goodness in my life. It's our way of giving back. Um, we can give back through stories, 
you know, a lot of fighter pilots want to publish their story, but they don't have the time or they don't know how. So the, this business kind of helps them along with that. And then we get the, the gratification of hearing people that read our stories, but also giving to a children's cancer nonprofit and, and helping families that have, that have kids going through cancer treatments that maybe don't have the means or the funds or the insurance to do so. That is awesome. I did not know that. I missed that somehow when I was researching. I didn't know the money was going there. So that is very cool. Now, guys, we spend just a little bit of time getting to know who Dominic Tyke is. In the next part of the show, we're going to start diving into the first volume of Single Seat Wisdom and talk about that a little bit. We're going to roll to our sponsor and we will be right back with more from Dom. How well do you sleep at night? Do you toss and turn and wake up more tired than when you went to bed? Sleep is commonly one of the critical elements people fall short on in their life. The quality of sleep you get directly affects your ability to control your weight, your ability to add muscle, your stress levels, and your everyday job and life performance. If you're ready to move to the next level, then sleep has to be part of the plan. Check out our friends at ghostbed.com if you're ready to get your best sleep. I love my ghost bed. I've been sleeping on one for a couple of years and has made a huge difference in how I sleep. Hit ghostbed.com and use the code thefallibleman30 to get 30% off your order and start getting better night's sleep tomorrow. Now, let's go on to the show. Welcome back, guys. In the first part of the show, we were just spending some time getting to know who Dominic Tyke is and letting you meet him and understand where he's coming from. In this part of the show, we're going to dive into his book, Single Seed of Wisdom, Volume 1. It's the first of a series that he's got going on. And he was telling us a little bit about it. It's kind of a compilation of stories of multiple pilots. Now, Dominic, what what actually inspired you to start putting this together? Because you told us a little bit that, you know, this is what you decided to do. What what made you even think of doing this? So during COVID, when COVID kicked off and all the lockdowns were happening, there was a, a class of fighter pilot students going through that was really struggling. Because as you can imagine, in in any peak performing profession, sports, what have you, if you lose that social aspect, right, which also if you think about social distancing, even that phrase is confusing, because either we're being social, or I want to be distant, but I don't need them together. And it's even even that was confusing to me. I'm like, don't don't tell me to be socially distant, either I want to be at at a distance, or I want to be social. And so all these the students, the class was having a tough time. And so what I started doing, because I was a one of the student flight commanders at the time, I started sending the students just a, a short little message once a week that they could read in less than two minutes. And it was usually about something that I messed up as a young fighter pilot or that I messed up just in general, because I do make a lot of mistakes. So it was more of a, hey, just learn, you know, you don't have to learn these lessons yourself. So, you know, I started kind of recycling those, I saved it. And just like anything that I've done in business or with books or, or anything in life, I, I built a process behind that. So I started saving those little weekly and it took on a bunch of different names. Now it's called the competent wingman and people can actually read um, if they go to our single seat mindset.com website, the competent wingman programs on there is completely free, but it was designed for fighter pilots. And it was just short little stories that people could read and, and, in this case, it was the fighter pilot students that could read these messages and, and hopefully be a bigger version of themselves, be better, be, be helpful, that kind of stuff. Well, during that process, because I had built websites before I, I 
built a website. And then I got really sick after the fifth or sixth class that came through of manually sending these emails out. And so that's where I automated it and put it into this, this program that people can, can use. And, and now um, pilot students from other bases are using it. And from even, even from other professions, I think one of the most unique reviews or messages that I got was from a guy in, in Minnesota. He worked at an air conditioning company and he was the floor manager and he wanted to be a pilot. And I don't know, just, it, it reached a lot of people. But during that time, I tell you all that because I had no intent of starting a website in another business and publishing books. I asked a couple of my fighter pilot buddies if they, if they had a story and they wanted to publish it in a compilation type series. Um, and it was more of a hobby when I, when I first started it and it kind of became something a lot bigger. And so that's why we decided to automate a lot of the things and make it a business for the, the, the tax implications, but also to keep all of our lines of communication clear and to our, our keep our intent pure early on in the first couple of months, as much as I like to make money, we decided to give all the money to a, a children's cancer nonprofit. And, you know, that's, that's its own story. And, you know, just why, why we even give to that, that children's cancer nonprofit, but the book became kind of this thing that was much more than a hobby. And then of course, like anybody would do, you're like, well, I did it one time. Why don't we make this volume one? Let me see if I can do it again. So then we wrote volume two and we are currently in the process of writing volume three right now. So I say all of that because it, it you know, as you, as I go along my journey in life, it usually just starts with that first step, just, you know, committing to that one thing. And in my case, I feel like the world has been given to me. So I just kind of want to give back. Maybe it's, Maybe it's a little bit of guilt, like I've taken so much that I want to give back now, whatever it happens to be. And that's kind of where we're at now is, is a lot of people are like, oh, I read your book. And I'm like, well, I wish I could say that that was my book. And I wrote that. However, I, I literally just put all of the pieces together, compiled it and, and, you know, edited it and, and paid for all of that stuff and got it to publishing. But it's really, it's all of our, it's all of our stories, all of our book together is what really made it happen. See, I, I will admit that I was actually a little confused when, when you and I first connected on this. I thought you were written the, the whole book, right? I thought this was your book. And then I started reading it. I'm like, wait, this is not what I was expecting. Yeah. But it's got a lot of a lot of great stories. Now, one of the things I wanted to share with our audience today, guys, is this has a lot of relevant stories. And you don't have to be a pilot or in the military to garner knowledge from this. Okay. This is not just for a certain category of individual. There is useful information. These guys are just pouring their heart out, sharing knowledge they've gained. And so it's, it's applicable to anybody. I, I want to be really clear about that. I was, I was, when I first talked to you about it, I was like, okay, this should be interesting, you know, how this is going to apply. And then I started reading it and it was like, oh, wow, there's just a lot of great applicable knowledge for like all different facets of lives. And you have it from a lot of different pilots. Like you're, you're on book three now. And yeah, I knew we you have worked on book two. Yeah. So you're on book three now. We got book two published on Veterans Day last year and this this year is the big push is to get another one published on veterans day in november 
and begrudgingly, I, I did not want to do a third book. It's a lot of work, as you can imagine, hurting a bunch of, well, one, <laughs> all of the fighter pilots, all the fighter pilots monetarily contribute to the children's cancer nonprofit. So they send money to that to be part of this project. So not only am I asking them to give money, I'm asking them to do work. And, and as you can imagine, everybody's busy nowadays. These, these guys are working professionals, whether they're, they're now retired flying for the airlines or they're running their own business, or they are actually an active duty military pilot. They're it's, it's a big ask, right? And so these, these guys are contributing in more, more ways than one. And it's a very difficult marketing message to say, Hey, would you, would you mind doing some work and like, I don't know, writing a story? Cause I think it'd be cool and fighter pilots don't do that. And then, oh, by the way, it's going to cost you money. But now we're, you know, on our third book and I got, it was actually through another connection that I got referred to. He's like, yeah, I want to write a story. And so that kind of got book three going and it took a lot of energy for me to, to get that book moving and to try to get this third book published. But I think it'll be, it'll be a cool addition to the series. Again, like I said, we, we now have all the authors on board. Everybody's writing their chapters. So we're past the, the painful part, which is the initial part of getting everybody on board, but I'm excited, excited to get it. The stories are coming in. And I, I even, when I read these stories, uh, initially I am, usually I sit back in my chair. Some of them even make me cry. You know, there's, some that I didn't, I, I'm like, I've known you for a long time. I didn't know this about you type of type of stories. Mm -hmm. I, I honestly like compilation stuff. Everybody thinks compilation things will be easier, but if you've ever worked with a large group of people, it's like herding cats, man. Yeah. It's, yep. it's just insane trying to get all these people who are like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do that. Yep. The amount of follow-up phone calls and emails it takes to pull these yep. things together is insane. Yep. yep. That was, <laughs> that was, I experienced that. I, you know, I send a, a short little writing guide, right? Just, and just like anything in business and life at work with my family, it's, it's a process, right? So everything you do, just, just plug it into your process so that next time you can just recycle that process, refine it. And so I send out this writing guide and it is, it's very clear what you're supposed to do, who are, who are like, if you were going to target a reader, this is the person. So I described the person that the word count and everything and my, my good buddy. So you had mentioned you use your middle name, right? Mm -hmm. And my buddy in pilot training, he used his middle name. I didn't know for a year after him living with me and being in my roommate, I didn't even know what his real name was. And I was like, you're wait, your name is John. Well, so I emailed Jack, he writes his chapter and it is we, we go for about 800 to 1500 word chapters. If, even if you're not a reader, you can read these books very easily. You can digest these stories. You're not committed to anything because every chapter is so different. Well, he, he missed that little snippet in my writing guide about how many words he should write. And he wrote 9,000 words. He wrote a, wow. essentially the equivalent of a third, if not a half of the book in his chapter. And so what we ended up doing was just taking a snippet out of one of his life lessons and plugging that into volume two of, of the series. But we now have, we now have some unused stuff that I need to figure out where we can put that, whether that's in a different book series or another book, but that's for another, another time. You, you can plug in story to three. Yeah. Add one per book you release. Yeah, exactly. 9,000 words is a lot, man. 
Yeah. People who don't write don't don't understand the commitment of writing that many words in a coherent fashion, right? Mm -hmm. I yep. mean, anybody can scramble stuff. My daughters are eight and 11 and they'll come in and see me typing up an outline for something or one of the projects I'm working on and, and wow, you typed all that this afternoon? It's like, this is just the beginning of this document. <laughs> you, you, have, you know, they're, they're still that age, but even as adults, a lot of people, we don't write very much anymore. Mm -hmm. And so they, they lose that. It's like, oh, well, people will try and I'm going to write a book and, and they write like a chapter and that's, that's what they had to say. And they're like, how do people write these giant books? Yeah. You can say a lot in that amount of words, man. Yeah. The short stories. That's, that's kind of one of the things that we hone in on. Cause that's been some of our best feedback is just the other day, a young Lieutenant who's new here at the base, she comes around the corner and she looks at me and she goes, wait, your slice. And supposedly before, as she was going through, you know, she was becoming a, an officer. Her grandfather bought Single Seat Wisdom Volume 1, gave it to her dad, and her dad gifted it to her. And so she had read the book, and I had met her in some capacity because she's one of the intelligence officers. So I had met her back in one of the, the briefing areas. And then the second time she comes up and she walks up, and she's like, holy smokes. Your your slice, and I'm like, yeah. And she goes, oh my gosh, I've been reading your book, and I'm like, well, it's not my book, but what she said specifically, I I told you that story because she said the reason I like the book is because I don't have to commit to a whole book, and I can just read something, and in ten minutes, you know, I can pour myself my favorite drink, sit in my chair, and just in ten minutes, I can read a story. I can set the book down, come back to it next year. I didn't miss anything. You can just pick it back up and go to the next chapter because it's completely different fighter pilot writing the story. It's a completely different message. And like you said, I, I, I appreciate the plug, but it's it was written to, to help all different aspects of life. So whether or not you're in business, you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to be a better employee, a better, you know, there's there's even one called fighter pilot fatherhood. Right. And, you know, that chapter is all about a perspective that one of the fighter pilots got and how it helped him become a better dad and helped him level up there and, and kind of gave him, you know, his little snippet on that. It was, like I said, when I opened the book, it was not what I was expecting when we initially made contact. <laughs> but you know what? I, I read chapters of this during like halftime of my daughter's basketball game. Yeah. My, my kids were both in basketball this last year. And and I, I did. I they, they cut to halftime. I'd be sitting there on the bleachers, pop out the book read a chapter, put it down, back to the game. It, it was great because I could just pick it up anywhere and just it's a few minutes here, a few minutes there. Yeah. So I, it was actually, it surprised me how much I enjoyed that part of it to just be able to to have that. Because most time, right, I, I've got to get back into, I read a lot of books for this show, but I have to get back into, okay, I haven't picked this up for three days. What was that last chapter? I'm, I'm like yeah. skimming a couple pages before my bookmark to get my brain back to where I was. And yeah. so, yeah, no, there's a lot of great advice in there that you just like, okay, you know what? I can take this one piece right now and that's what I can do right now. Yep. And, and I'll on some of them, you got to take the break. On some of them, you got to take that break because a couple of the chapters, you're just like, you know what? I, I got to digest that before I do anything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
So I, I got to ask, it's totally unrelated question. Since, since you mentioned your call sign is Slice. Yeah. Who assigns call signs? We, we've all seen Top Gun, but who assigns cops the call signs? It's, that something it's not the pilot themselves. Well, that, that's what I, I guessed, but. Yeah. So I imagine, it, you know, as a kid, did you have, did your buddies call you a name? There was, there was some sort of naming among friends. You know, I played a lot of baseball up through junior college and everybody had their, their nickname, essentially. The point being is fighter pilots will generally, you'll, you'll go through all your training. You'll, you'll get kind of a stunt call sign when you're going through like basic training. Like we teach in the schoolhouse here. So a lot of the young fighter pilots will, will give them a spoofer call sign. But then when they go to their first combat unit, they'll go through mission qualification training. And during that time, you know, they'll do something stupid. And in my case, I did something stupid. So and, and that generally is how people get call signs, you know, whether or not that's it's a play on your last name, it could be an acronym that's actually a word, you know, there's usually a story behind it. And mine was I made a, a big mistake, I broke a training rule on a on a for lack of better term, we were essentially dogfighting. So we're doing visual maneuvering, uh, very dynamic, 3D, going up over the top. And I pointed at the other, my instructor's jet too long and we had a close pass. And they said I tried to slice him in half. So that was kind of the, there was there was more to the story as there always is. Right. I'm glad, I'm very grateful to have the call sign slice because I've been called a lot worse. So it kind of worked out in my favor and it's, it's not really a painful memory. It's something that I now can talk to with the young guys. And I think that's a lesson in life is that you're, you can take, you can take your failures and consider yourself a failure. You can just go that I've failed at that event. I learned from it. And this is what I learned from it. And that's kind of my call sign is when I, when I'm now briefing the young guys, I'm like, Hey, if you want a cool call sign, like slice, you will do this. If you don't want to die, do this. And that's what those training rules are for. Okay. I, I had to, so we, we watch, you know, I, I'm old enough that I'm a Top Gun fan anyway, but we watched the new one and I was, I was watching it with my daughters, but you know, in, in the movies, they always have the really cool call sign, you know, Viper, Phoenix. Like, oh, yeah, really, really BA, right? But I was watching the credits and all the pilots that helped shoot the film, you know, all had their call signs in there. And you're reading some of the call signs. It's like, they didn't choose that. So how did that happen, right? Because you're yeah. looking at a couple, I'm like, no one chooses that nickname. So <laughs> I had to ask. I've never had a pilot just here where I could ask that question. So. Well, the, the backseater, the backseater. So in the, in the second Top Gun movie, one of my favorite scenes is when they're in the bar and the backseaters, the weapon system operator, not a pilot. A lot of people don't know that, but the guy in the backseat is not a pilot and he's in the bar. He's got his glasses. We're like, well, what's your call sign? He just says, Bob. <laughs> and I just, I just busted out laughing because they're like, no, no, no. What's, what's your actual call sign? He's like, I'm Bob. <laughs> it's like just a. I don't know, for me, a very a funny moment, just knowing everything that goes into call signs and that guy got a call sign of Bob. I'm like, couldn't we have been a little bit more creative with that? But I guess that's part of the part of the cinematography and part of being in Hollywood. Right. Well, you know, they, they had to because with everybody else's call sign in that movie, that was incredibly funny because you're just like. Yeah, it makes you think. Yeah, everybody scratched their head at that moment. It's like, yeah, OK, we're, we're talking to all these Phoenix and this guy and yeah. that guy and you're like yeah 
Bob. Maverick and Bob. <laughs> so I, I wanted to ask since, since you were right here. Now, guys, we've been discussing single seat wisdom a little bit with Dom. In this next part of the show, we're going to dive into decision-making paradigm as fighters are trained. Because as you can imagine, right, life is moving pretty quick when you're flying that kind of plane. And so we're going to dig into that and how you can possibly apply that to your life for those moments where you're just pinned in and you're trying to make the best decision possible. We'll be right back from our sponsor with more from Dom. Now, before we go any further, I wanted to share with you guys, I don't always tell you how much I love doing my podcast. Like I passionately love what I'm doing. And one of the things that makes my life better as a podcaster is to work with a company like Grow Your Show. Grow Your Show is a one-stop podcast do it all. Now, I use Grow Your Show for my marketing, but Grow Your Show is literally a one-stop shop. You can record your episode and just drop it off with them and they take it from there. It's amazing. If you are interested in picking up podcasting as a hobby, or maybe you're looking to expand your business and use podcasting in that aspect, talk to my friends over at Grow Your Show. Adam will take care of you, I guarantee it. I trust him, he's my friend, he's my business colleague, and I wouldn't trust anybody else with my show. Guys, welcome back. In the last part of the show, we were discussing, I, I won't say Dominic's book, I will say the book Dominic put together. Is that, that that's, more that's correct? A, that's fair. Okay. Single Seed of Wisdom, volume one. He's actually working on volume three. Volume two is out. Now in this part of the show, we're going to dive into his experience as a fighter pilot because they have to be able to make critical decisions in extreme situations that most of us can't fathom. But I think it's a part of that decision-making paradigm can be really practical to our lives as men as we're faced with regular struggles. So Dominic, I know, I don't know if there's a streamlined way in which they teach you guys to do this, but I know at the speed in which you move in that plane, there are, the, the decision window is very small. So how do you guys go about making the best choice possible in these scenarios? So, I mean, that, that can go any, any number of different directions. However, the, the thing that I think a lot of people can, can learn from that is, is specifically that word. It's, it's a learned process. And those two words are important. One, you have to be willing to learn, which means that you're probably going to fail quite a bit along the way. And then there's a process, meaning there's a syllabus, there's rules, and then there's the essentially the blocking and tackling drills that you do on a daily basis as a pilot. And there's just some things that you need to do every time and you need to be good at. And so those are taught at it, you know, during, early on in the programs, those are taught so that those those the, the base is set well. So I think there isn't really a, there's no perfect syllabus, right? Because every syllabus needs to be tailored to every student because everybody learns a little bit differently. However, there are some learning modalities that are the same. I would say men by and large probably are very visual. So if we can make things visual and bring that to light, but really as an instructor, it's, it's important to just relay that and figure out kind of where somebody's coming from and, and learn how they learn. And that way you can tailor their syllabus and what they're doing that day. So I think for me, like anybody can understand that, you know, if you're in a, a major league baseball player, you didn't, you didn't start out there. You started out probably in T-ball, but really you started out with basic drills and you learned that stuff throughout time. You've 
your brain is plastic and it got, you kind of essentially taught your brain over time how to hit a ball that was being thrown at 30 miles an hour at 50, 60, 80, 90, and then over a hundred miles an hour. So all those things were learned, but that didn't just happen accidentally. There was a process behind it. And I would say that, you know, I, having been a civilian flight instructor, and that's where I started out was in civilian flight instructing before I, I joined the military. And then now being a military instructor. So I've been a, a pilot instructor for over 20 years. This, this process that happens is usually driven by a syllabus. And I think that the way that that's applicable to business owners, entrepreneurs, employees, anybody else, is that when you start something new, if there isn't a process in place, you need to start building that, write everything down. And then as you go, you can start recycling that process. So for example, single seat wisdom, I, did, I, I had to build the process while we were writing that first book. However, the second book was a little bit easier. And the third one's even easier just because the process is already in place. So it's a learned behavior. And then you need to have a process about what you're doing. If you're if you wake up and if your alarm goes off in the morning, and you just roll out of bed and you sprint to work and everything is, is an emergency, and you want to live your life that way, you're not going to get very far because that's not a very process. There isn't something specific you're doing every day to grow and to get better. Okay. So it really comes down to a practice how you play. Yeah. Play how you, what is that saying? Play how you practice. I, I'm, I'm saying that wrong somehow. But have a plan. Okay. So build a plan build a process and then practice that process over and over. Can I ask how many hours do you have to rack up before you can get like actually be combat certified? How many hours do you rack up in that seat? So, I mean, you can, you can be a civilian private pilot and this is latent knowledge. I don't know what the minimum hours are, but I did not ever have a student become a civilian private pilot with the minimum hours. And if you did, I would be a little bit skeptical, right? I think it was 55 hours. Don't quote me on that. So you could have 55 hours of flight time of getting instruction, soloing the airplane, going cross country, you know, going to other airfields, and you could be a certified private pilot. It was usually more like 65 to 90 hours. So less than 100 hours, you could be a civilian pilot here in America. And that's a pretty cool thing to know. Granted, flying is expensive because the airplanes and, and everything else is expensive. But if you get yourself to that, that phase, I had, I mean, there were guys that when I was a civilian flight instructor that I'm just a grandpa and I just want to fly to see my grandkids and I don't want to have to drive. So they would go get their private pilot license and, you know, they would retire and buy themselves a little airplane and they'd go fly to see their grandkids. And I'm like, that's a really cool way to get around the country. Right. But it, your level, right? You are a combat pilot. You are a instructor in the United States military. Yeah. What kind of flight time are we talking about logging? Because you have practiced over and over and over and over to get to that point. I mean, I, ha I personally have several thousand hours, but somebody that has, you know, two, three, 400 hours, you know, typically in the 500 to a thousand hour phase, is, is, is where I really found that I was comfortable in the jet and I really wrapped my mind around the bigger parts of the mission and I had seen enough, but there was like, you know, no pun intended, enough time in the seat to 
to have seen all of that, right? Because even if you have, you know, you can be a combat wingman and have a hundred and something hours, but you just, you haven't been around long enough to, to know what you don't know because you haven't seen it. However, that's not, I, I would say the hours getting wrapped around the hours question is that there, there, there are guys that had 500 hours that were much better fi fighter pilots than I was at 500 hours. So it is a little bit individual, you know, every, every person's ability to learn and their own capability to fly the airplane. Cause think about this, if you had 500 hours in a fighter jet and then you went and did a staff job for two years, then you came back your, your skills as a fighter pilot are going to atrophy quite a bit. And you're going to have to kind of get back on the horse and, and learn again and retrain your plastic brain. Now, granted it's, it's like riding a bike, it'll come back, but it'll take a little bit of time. Right. But what I wanted to dig into with that question guys is this is the decisions they make when they're in the air, when they're flying, this is a process of going through their process, right? Going, as you said, going through that over and over again, right? You guys have processes for everything, right? You have, you know, pre-flight inspections and check rides and all that stuff that I don't understand, right? You have a process for everything. Y'all have repeated that and repeated that and repeated that and train that and train that and train that and ingrain these things come together. So when you're faced with a question, when you're faced with a judgment call, when you're faced with a situation, you're falling back on time and experience and training and process over and over and over. And that I think is, is a big core going back to what you were explaining, right? As you're teaching somebody to do something, this is how you need to learn to do it. This is how you, you figure out how they learn and go with it. But it's a culmination of that decision-making process of I practiced this over and over and over again. I've gone through this process over and over and over again. So you've removed a lot of the non-active decisions. Can I say it that way? Yeah. Yeah, you've essentially moved from your prefrontal cortex where you have to think about it to your motor cortex and the, the back of your nugget that, like you're saying, is... You're standing in the batter's box. I guarantee those major league baseball players, they're not thinking about how to swing the bat. They it happens, right? And it's more it's more fluid and it's 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 not mechanical. It just happens, right? It's it's not robotic because you've learned the behavior. I think I think what you're getting at, at least in my case, is what habits in your life are serving you and which ones are dragging you down. And I think if you actually looked at those, you would find that many of your habits are dragging you down and you're doing them subconsciously. Now, Dominic, what are three actionable steps? So if guys want to get better at making good decisions, yep, right? One of the things I've referenced before is Mark, Mark Zuckerberg. I'm not a huge fan of the guy, but in an interview, they asked him like just some oblivious question. And they asked him like, you know, how do you pick your clothes in the day? And he said, I have one t-shirt. I have one set of jeans. I have like 60 of them. But I have one t-shirt, I have one set of jeans. He puts on the same exact clothes. I've heard other big CEOs say the same thing, right? I took away the unnecessary yep. decisions that yep. detract, right? Because you only have so many cycles in the day sure, for your brain to make good decisions. So what are three steps our listeners can take right now in their life 
to start being better at making decisions in their lives. Sure. I would just, I would start out with the mantra that Box Johnson in Single Seat Wisdom Volume 2, the author that wrote the chapter, Plan, Execute, Debrief. And this guy's a astronaut, fighter pilot, test pilot. I mean, he's big brains, but very simply plan, execute, debrief. So what is, what is your plan? And that you need to, you need a plan enough to get going. And so what I started doing many years ago was just waking up earlier. And if you're not a morning person, because most people aren't just wake up five minutes earlier. And in that five minutes in the morning, whether or not you just sit in silence and sit still, or you pray or meditate or whatever you do in that five minutes, resist the urge to roll out of bed and then start sprinting through your day because there's no intentionality behind that. So the, the plan would be if you don't have any structure to your day and you're just starting out, plan on spending five minutes in the morning and then just pick one thing. So go, hey, today will be successful if X, whatever that happens to be. So you, you, you set your plan in the morning and then during your day, you put your subconscious to that and you put your, your active self to accomplishing that intentionality of your day. So as you're executing, you are paying attention to, hey, the, the goal today is to do this. And then at the end of the day, you debrief yourself. So did I did I do X, Y or Z? Did it go down a different path? Should I stop doing that? And I, I think many times we'll find, at least I found, is that you need to fire yourself from doing things that don't that aren't that maybe best suited for you or that maybe isn't best for your life. And because I was doing a lot of things, I was achieving a lot of things and, you know, starting businesses and being a fighter pilot and doing all this stuff. And I found that it just created more busyness, but it, I was I wasn't in the correct business. And so I think part of that journey, part of that learning process is kind of knowing thyself and figuring that out and making fail and, you know, failing and then picking yourself back up again. But put your plan together either the night prior or the morning of and think about that and go, hey, what is my intention today? And then during your day as you're executing that, be cognizant of that. And then at the end of the day, debrief yourself. So those are some very simple things that you can do. And it really could be, you know, my intention today is to spend two quality hours with my family. It could be as simple as that. Or it could be my intention today is to reach out to one friend or I need to get this one project done at work come hell or high water, I'm going to get it done. And then you just debrief yourself and you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And at the end of the day, as you're debriefing, go, Hey, what did I learn? Did it happen? Was I, was it lucky? Did I, did that happen? Just happenstance? Or did I, you know, did I do something to do that? Or did I fail? And then in that, that case, your failures, as painful as they are, they're going to be your, your lessons there. So I think just being cognizant of that and being present and not looking at your cell phone in the morning and staying off social media and just going, what am I going to do today? Okay, today, I'm not going to, I'm not gonna look at any social media or, or whatever, those little subconscious habits, those things that you can cut out, those are really going to serve you a lot better. And, and it could be, I just need to stop eating this type of food. It's not that I need to eat healthier food. It just means I need to push this stuff out or I need to stop doing this job at work because it's this person's person's job and I can give them feedback. So plan, execute, debrief is a very simple construct. And I would say you can call it the five minutes of freedom or whatever you want to call it in the morning. If you don't set that in the morning and you have an emergency as you're jumping out of bed and then you walk into work, everything, your whole day is going to be an emergency. And you're not going to get anything done because there's no intentionality behind that. There's no plan. 
And then at the end of the day, when you're debriefing yourself, you're just going to throw your hands in the air and you're going to watch junk TV because you don't have any more gas in the tank. All right. I think there's a lot of wisdom behind that. Now, now Dom, you have single seat wisdom volume three in process. What's next for Dominic? So I am in the process this year, specifically 2023 of not adding fuel to the fire. So we are in just maintain the businesses, be grateful for what we have. And I just, I need to be me personally, I need to be more present with everything that I'm doing. And so that takes a concerted effort on my part to not constantly be doing projects, to not be thinking about the next thing and to actually just sit here and go today you know, I'm going to do, I'm just going to play cards with my kids or I'm going to, and, and you probably are laughing because you've probably done the same thing, but I think that's part of the process, right? Is it's learning about yourself. And this year is I'm actually in one of my businesses, I've, I'm selling some property. I'm, you know, using those funds to just simplify life and to kind of push and stop doing a lot of the stuff that creates kind of the thrash in life knowing that there's going to be emergencies, fires that I have to put out. But this year specifically is I'm just refocusing and going, okay, if I was going to push one thing, just like I did at the beginning of the day, like in the next five years, what's the one thing that I'm going to push forward? And I haven't figured that out yet. So that's what this year's for. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not laughing at you. I'm, I'm laughing because a couple, <laughs> year, a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have gotten that at all, right? As, as a full-time corporate employee, I, I, I got it some, right. Cause I was always pretty busy, but owning two businesses and in the last couple of years, just the changes in my life because of that and the change in your mindset, as you start to own your own businesses and do things, some people don't understand it's like the drive to add that next thing. It, it's just so, so present, right. Yeah. I'm always thinking of that next Oh, we'll do this. Oh, we'll do this. Right. Yeah. And the amount of time I actually had to step back recently and, and remove some stuff from the cycle. It's like, you know what? I like this, but it's not serving its purpose. It's not, no matter how badly I want it to, it's not actually delivering value for the time I'm investing in it. Yeah. And, and so I actually scrubbed a thing I do re re fairly regularly recently. And that was very painful for me because it's like, I really wanted that to be good and to work really well and like just time on the return on investment. So it's, it's a different mindset sometimes, but some people don't understand because they're just not at that same space. It's like, yeah, that's really hard for entrepreneurs and, and businessmen who are expanding to go, no, we're, we're not going to push farther this year. We're just going to consolidate and, and do better, mm. not try and expand more, not try to add more things. Yeah. So I, I was laughing because I'm I'm on on that cycle of nope, nope, nope. We're not yep. anymore. <laughs> you no. could or or you could remove you could remove everything and start something else. But I think you know the the lesson here is more does not mean more. It could just mean thrash and it could just rip you apart, especially if you're not doing the right thing. And in my case, I actually I turned off a business that was profitable, but it was about the profits. And it, you know, if you're solely focused on money, I don't have, you know, you'll roll out of bed for the first six months, but then something will really get on your nerves 
And if it's only about money, it's that's not a very that's not a long term thing that's going to work. Right. Because you're not going to find that, you know, oh, these fires pop up throughout my day. I can actually roll out of bed and 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 attack these things with the right mindset if it's only about money. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's got to be more to it. I, I was actually just speaking at a podcast venue about that. It's like you, your podcast has got to be deeper than that, man. It can't just be about money. You got to you got to have your heart behind it or you're just going to burn out so quick. Yep. Now, Dominic. Where is the best place for people to connect with you? Singleseatmindset.com. Now, for you, those of you catching us on the video, I've got that up on the screen. There, I'll scroll to the right point so you can see the page. Oh, that's not even the about, that's the Helen page. I'm sorry. I am all over the place today, guys. Sorry about that. Just not together. Oh, no. Guys, it's a cool website just because he's got some really great footage that you're going to enjoy anyways to, to lead off. That's a really strong anchor for the website, by the way. Uh, well <laughs> done on that. But singleseatmindset.com. Dominic also has a lot of social media presence. Of course, as always, we'll have all that for you guys down in the show notes or the YouTube description, whatever platform you're enjoying this on. Now, at the beginning of the show, Dom, we asked you in South Dakota, it's illegal to fall down and sleep where? It's an A, a cheesecake factory. Or sorry, a cheese factory. I read that right. Be a city park. And then you see where my head's at. I want cheesecake now. <laughs> see a rodeo ring or D in a gold mine. You said in a cheese factory. You are, in fact, correct. I had no idea that South Dakota was big into cheese. My brain went, it's not Wisconsin. It can't be that. <laughs> so in case you guys still care, that, that's the answer. It's apparently in South Dakota, I love stupid laws in random states that they just haven't taken yeah. off the books. It's yeah. illegal to fall down and sleep in a cheese factory. So if you guys are visiting South Dakota, don't do that. They will apparently dislike that. Now, Dom, for us to wrap up today, I would like you to share what's the most important takeaway you want someone to hear today from this show. If they missed everything else, what do you want to say to our audience? I would say something simple. If you if you want to get more out of life, is just it's the five-minute rule every morning is just discipline yourself and create a habit that in the morning you're going to spend five minutes not looking at social media just sitting there whether that's in silence or like i talked about prayer meditation whatever you want to do but five minutes and just think about your day and that way as you're stepping into your day you have a plan and that way at the end of your day you can look back and 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 either that that just gives you a lot of accelerated acceleration into your next day because that's how everything starts. It's just one step at a time. It's through those increments and, and your habits may be crushing you, but you can turn that around, flip it on its head and have just a five minute, I don't know, five minute pep talk in the morning where you're just thinking about your day and then you're putting that into action. Guys, that is all for our interview with Dominic Tyke. I will have all of his connection info. As always, be better tomorrow because of what you do today. And we'll see you on the next one. This has been the Fallible Man Podcast, your home for everything man, husband, and father. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a show. Head over to www.thefallibleman.com for more content and get your own Fallible Man gear.